Welcome to Is It Halloween Yet? Episode 21, a spooky little podcast where we talk about all things horror and ask, Is it Halloween yet? I'm afraid not ghouls, ghosts, and goblins. It's 242 days until Halloween. I'm your ghost dispenser. Let's see what we have on the slab this week. We've got a lot of news, including the trailer for Nope, and we are concluding our ill-fated Texas Chainsaw Massacre series with 2022's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But let's start with video game news. The week of Elden Ring has come and gone, but that's not all the video game news we've got this week. It seems fitting that we got news of popular souls like Salt and Sacrifice, the sequel to 2016's Salt and Sanctuary is headed to PC via Epic Game Store, PS4, and PS5 on May 10th. The first 2D game to live up to the Souls games in punishing hard combat and deep lore, Ska Studios gave us a trailer and a pretty deep rundown on the PlayStation blog. They assured us that while PvP in Salt and Sacrifice is beefed up, the many players who come for the game the many players who come to the game for single player only won't have to worry their pretty heads about it. Sony shocked no one when Wired Production took to Twitter to let everyone know that the game Martha is Dead would be censored. They were vague in their original tweet, but we now know what elements of the game have been censored. One of the elements is the much passed around the internet scene where a player must channel their inner Leatherface and play a mini game to saw the face off of a corpse. There's also a scene where you must cut open a corpse's womb that got left out of the PlayStation version. In non-gore cuts to the game, there's a scene that ha- that deals with masturbation that was also removed. There is an optional sensor mode on the PS4 that completely removes the scenes in question as well as some scenes of self-harm in the last act of the game. PlayStation has also required a much more detailed trigger warning than the other platforms. Oh, that's what that's what's been cut from the game. Uh, we also know that the physical version was going to be delayed a little bit for PlayStation, but it seems like they've got that up. They are shooting for March 10th, but they are shipping as soon as they get with release upon delivery for retailers. So that's cool for the fans of uh, physical media. If you've missed out on our other coverage of Martha is Dead, it's a game that's set in 1944's Italy, where you play as Martha's sister who deals with grief and trauma and lost alone through a darkly narrative game. It's out now on Xbox, PC, and heavily censored on PS4 and PS5. Gun Interactive updated us on the upcoming Texas Chainsaw Massacre game, letting us all know that the game will be a three versus four take on horror multiplayer genre. When you think about it, it really makes a lot of sense for the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise. That is a franchise that focuses on family, excluding the last two and this current new one. Um, The family is the focus. Saw is family is a common thing that is said or emblazoned on gold and chrome chainsaws. So the fact that gun media would switch up the formula of this IP to better suit the antagonist is just that attention to detail that helped make Friday the 13th of the game so much fun. Still no release date yet, but I'm hoping it makes its way into our hands for the blessed month of October. Exposition Zero is a winter-based horror survival game set in the harsh landscapes of rural Siberia. The game will set you up as the final survivor of a botched scientific survey. You'll battle the elements, hunger, and things that go bump in the woods. 
who are set on making your meal. Exposition Zero hits PC and Epic Game Store on March 24th. The long-haired, vengeful ghost that kicked off the J-Horror Obsession stateside Sadaka hit the PTB in the last few weeks and will be hitting the main game of Dead by Daylight on March 8th. Everything I've seen, she isn't a heavy hitter for killer mains, but she will still be fun to play around with and mess around with grown-up Yoichi Asakawa, the chapter's new survivor. I know I'm probably in the minority, but I am glad that we got Sadako and not Samara. Ringu has even though it has gone to some crazy places in its sequels and crossovers, I mean, Freddy versus Jason has nothing on Sadako versus Kayako. I have always felt more affection to the OG version of the character than its American counterpart. So you'll find me playing as that dark haired girl who loves to kill people through videotapes on March 8th. Dead by Daylight's David Richards sat down with Newsweek and talked about the DLC, but also got we got some news from him. He would love to see Master of Horror Stephen King head to Dead by Daylight. Quote, personally, I'm a giant fan of Stephen King universe and the villains from his book. I would love to be able to do one of his monsters at some point. I think it would be amazing. It's such a great universe and there's so many different possibilities we could explore. I heartedly agree. That would be fun. It would be super cool to have Pennywise. I feel like that's the one everyone wants. I would also like to see uh, Annie from Misery. There could be something cool where you like hurt or damage their feet so they can't run as fast or do something. Like I just, just spitballing ideas here. <laughs> Nightmare Reaper is a horror looter suitor and it will leave early access on March 28th. The game will feature new modes, new story chapters and more demonic weapons. The Dark Picture developer has yet another new trademark. Supermassive has trademarked the name The Quarry with the European Union IP office. The title came across for Games, Software, Entertainment Services, and Computer Programming Services. I wonder what else they have in store for us. Hmm. I love Supermassive, so I'm very excited to see. That does it for video games. Let's see what other blood-filled horrors will hit the small screen. Time for TV news. Shudder is bringing us a second season of their film docu-series, Cursed Films. The films that are covered will be The Wizard of Oz, Rosemary's Baby, The Serpent and the Rainbow, Stalker, and perennial favorite of the genre gatekeepers, Cannibal Holocaust. I really enjoyed the first season. Uh, the series was... Wildly popular with Shudder fans, though, it was the second most watched series on the platform and the most watched documentary series premiere. I love shows that go behind the scenes, and I would love to see more that give us an honest look at nightmare sets, too. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre famously had a nightmarish set with shooting conditions. Same with The Shining. Like, I would like us to, like, look at how these movies are being made as well. We've got a lot of Stranger Things news headed your way. First off, season four will be hitting the service in two parts. The first volume will hit May 22nd. The second volume will hit July 1st. And in what I think is good news, but bittersweet news, we know that Stranger Things will only be getting one more season. The Duffer Brothers let us know that the world of Stranger Things is far from going anywhere. So get excited for spinoffs and other adventures. 
as we've discussed before, the Alien series is pretty far off, but it is starting to shape up on its way towards our screens. This time, FX's president, John Landgraf, let us know that the time frame will exclude everyone, including everyone's favorite badass fighter, Ellen Ripley. The series takes place decades before the events on the Nostromo. It takes place on our planet right near the end of this century, so 70-odd years from now. Ripley won't be a part of it, nor will any other character of Alien other than the Alien itself. Still, looks like we're on track to see the face-hugging monster in 2023. Now it's time for movie news. Shudder is bringing my favorite flavor of foreign horror to your screens in March. The new French Extremity is a hyper-violent, transgressive body of work that came to life in the early 2000s. While American horror was trapped by 9-11 and we saw the rise of PG teen slashers, which I also love... France was having a full-on bloodbath in its cinemas. If you haven't had a chance to catch some of these flicks, I sincerely hope that you will. The biggest news, however, is that Alexandra Busio and Julian Maudry's Livid will be headed to U.S. streaming platforms for the first time. If that name sounds familiar, it's because it's the team behind the largely baffling 2017 Texas Chainsaw Massacre entry, Leatherface. Not only will we see Livid, but the team's first film, Inside, will also be on the service. Other films heading to the service will be Clary Dennis's Trouble Every Day, Pascal Lugar's Controversial Martyrs, and my favorite of the bunch, Alexandre Aya's High Tension. Speaking of Julian Marjorie and Alexandria Busto, you can check out their latest work, The Deep House, now on Paramount+. Plus. The film follows influencers who go on a dive in a French lake and find a fully submerged house. Speaking of foreign horror, Shudder is also the home to the father of Giallo, Darian Argento's latest flick, Dark Glasses. The film had its premiere at the Berlin International Film Festival and will be headed to streaming services during the very busy and popular fall season. Ben McKenzie is set to start in a J-horror film, Bloat. The film is written by Tokyo-based Pablo Absento. The film follows a military officer and their wife while they are vacationing with their kids in Japan. During the trip, the youngest child almost drowns. If that doesn't sound like the perfect setup for a vengeful ghost and some spooky Japanese lore, I don't know what does. I'm very excited to see this. Deep Water is finally headed our way on March 18th. Starring Anna de Armas and Ben Affleck, the erotic thriller is directed by Adrian Lines, the mind that brought us Fatal Attraction, Jacob's Ladder, and Indecent Proposal. The film marks a return to the medium after a 20-year gap. It is based on the controversial novelist Patricia Highsmith's novel of the same name. In movies that could never come out as far as I'm concerned, it looks like Quiet Place fans should get ready for a long wait. The main line for the franchise will not be headed your way until at least 2025, according to the man himself, John Krasinski. You do have that spinoff heading your way next September after Quiet Place 2. I think I'm, I'm done. I'm good. It was a very, very compelling first movie and a very lackluster second. Shudder is bringing us political horror history of evil from Iranian-American director Bo Misarani. The film follows a family on the run from the government who is forced to hide in a safe house with an evil past while, a near, while using a near-future underground railroad to escape the corrupt state. 
Takashi Shimizu is back with another remote Japanese horror film after last year's Halloween Village. This year, he takes us to the foot of Mount Fuji in Suicide Forest Village. The Grudge director's new film is inspired by the tragic Aokigara Forest. When a group of friends come across a mysterious box, they unleash a curse that quickly spreads to those around them. The source of the box is Jukai Village, where the land where it's said that the land holds a grudge against trespassers and anyone that enters it cannot escape alive. It is coming to digital and VOD on March 1st, and then we'll hit Bloody Disgusting's relaunched Screenbox on May 6th. We've got even more J-horror news. It's like a lot of J-horror news this week that also relates back to a story we had in the first block. There's another Sadako movie headed our way. The last time we saw the VHS-loving killer was in 2019, but she's headed back to theaters in Japan for her 14th film, Sadako DX. No clue if we will see this stateside, but I am hoping that we do. The Sandra O led horror film Uma is headed to theaters with a new date of March 18th. I, I don't know what the rationale for this change is since it will put it up against one of everyone's most anticipated horror movies of the year, Ty West's X, but it is what it is. I love Sandra Oh. I love the concept of a horror movie focusing on the complex relationship of mothers and daughters and the constant pull some daughters feel to not fall into the same patterns as their mothers. The story of this film, the bits and pieces we've got has intrigued me. I cannot wait for it to come to VOD so I can watch it. I also can't wait to watch uh, X. That movie looks amazing. 17-year-old transgender filmmaker Alice Mayo McKay is behind the camera after her smart debut, So Vam. Ready to focus her razor-sharp style on the slasher genre in Bad Girl Boogie, McKay in the Indiegogo for the film says, It takes the slashers out of the hands of Reaganites and the 80s mentality of punishing and violence and turns it into a powerful and resonant allegory for the struggles of the LGBTQ plus community. And for all of those who are hated and outcast, I cannot wait to see it. If you want to help fund the film, there's a link to the Indiegogo in the show notes. John Carpenter did a killer interview with THR this week where he talked about his body of work. The big news of the piece was he would like to do a sequel to The Thing. And while I love The Thing as a singular piece of cinema, do not get me started on the prequel. If anyone was to tackle the sequel to that film, it is only Carpenter himself that could get me excited. Jamie Lee Curtis has rapped on Halloween Kills and alludes this to being the end of her time as Laurie Strode. Quote, a bittersweet end for me on Halloween movies. I've made great friends and have collaborated with wonderful artists on th these three movies. And today my part in the film has been completed. And with it, the end for me of this trilogy. It is all because of the fans who have always supported me and more importantly, Laurie. I hope to see some sort of conclusion to the entirety of the franchise in Halloween Ends. I know there will always be Halloween movies and reboots and sequels to reboots, but I hope that we can find a new way to see Michael after this trilogy ends his classic timeline. We've got a release date for Disney's Haunted Mansion. The Justin Simeon film will be headed to us on March 10th, 2023. It follows a mother and son who come across a mansion that is more than it seems while being orbited by the various characters key to undressing the spooky mystery. 
We also found out that spring will be blooming with all kinds of horror. The following month, we're getting Renfield, where we will finally get to get a look at Nicolas Cage's Sadako-inspired Dracula. That's headed our way on April 14th, 2023. We're going to wrap up the movie news by going through some of the trailers that have dropped. First up, the Pierce Bronze... I almost said Pierce Brosnan. First up, the Pierce Bronleheimer crazy monster flick, Crabs. Trailer starts off giving us some serious monster movie vibes, but slowly descends into what looks like a campy fun romp. No release date or streaming platforms or theatrical date for Crabs, but as soon as I know, you'll know. We got a haunting trailer for Shudder's The Twin. The film takes place following a family after the loss of one of their twins. Teresa Palmer stars as a mother who, after relocating because of the death of one of her twin boys, must come to deal with an evil that is taking over her surviving son. The twin is headed to Shudder on May 6th. We finally got a trailer for Revenge Flick Alice. The movie follows Kiki Palmer as the title character who is a slave on a Georgia plantation. After a violent crash with the man who owns her, played by Johnny Lee Miller, we see her stumble her way onto a highway in 1973. She learns of the Black Liberation Movement and all the progress that had been made, and she heads back to the past to get her revenge. Alice is coming to theaters this month on the 18th. Also starring Kiki Palmer and arguably one of the most anticipated horror movies of the year, we finally got to see what's going on in the world of Jordan Peele's Nope. It looks like we are getting a full-on alien invasion. I cannot wait to see what Peele's mind does with creatures from another world, and hopefully it will be safe to go to the theaters so I don't have to wait much longer than the July 22nd release date to see it. We've just got two home releases to announce this week, but they are both solid bangers. First up, we found out that Cabin in the Woods would be getting a 4K Ultra HD release on April 19th, and a very cool steelbook is headed to Best Buy. This next release is sadly way overdue, but we are finally getting a 4K Ultra HD of the classic 1992 Candyman. Arrow... Video announced that there would be a limited edition UK release for the movie. The good news is 4K discs are region free, so the fans of the hooked hand killer around the world can get your hands on the film. What's got me excited is that it has a new 4K restoration that is supervised both by director Bernard Rose and cinematographer Anthony B. Richmond. We're also pretty sparse on the extras this week, but we all know our favorite merch makers are just gearing up to punish our wallets come this summer and into fall. This week, we just got a little taste. NECA has an exclusive Elvira figure for this year's Holothon with Target. The figure was announced last October and will be a signed variant. The figure comes with two heads, a dagger, a goblet, and a skull candle. I'm going to try very hard to get one of these for my office. The winking head and the the goblet with the like mystical smoke around it is very cute also from NECA in celebration of the 40th anniversary of the cult favorite Halloween 3 season of the witch we are getting the very cute trick-or-treater figure set of the crew that you have grown to love the skeleton the witch and the jack-o'-lanterns straight from your friends at silver shamrock I'm gonna also need this uh so much Halloween 3 merch is coming out this year you know I am a fan. And finally, launching the day the podcast goes live, Cavity Color is also getting in on the Halloween 3 Madness. 
They're set to launch a glow-in-the-dark special edition. They teased an even bigger set is headed to us in the fall, but they wanted to give us a little taste with a limited edition glow-in-the-dark set. If you haven't tried their joggers, I seriously recommend them. No, this is not sponsored, but I have a pair of ghost face ones, and they are the most comfortable, like, sweatpants, soft sweatpants I own. I can't wait to fill my drawers with all of them. Just horror pajamas for next fall and winter. And that's going to do it for the news this week. Now it's time to get on to the feature film. If you're going to kill me, then do it. <sighs> I've been dreading this. We're going to talk about Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm not going to candy coat this film. It was a literal disaster for me. I sat watching this film getting madder and madder the entire time I was watching it. I will thank that the film really helped me focus what I dislike about the series beyond the second film. And it really helped me figure out what I want from the new batch of requels. And now that I've seen Scream, uh, I watched Scream this week. I, and that will be our movie next week. It really has... Those two films feel like the opposite ends of the spectrum from what I want for requels. So as we always do, let's start with how this film got made. Um, this film is the first film for new rights owners, Legendary Pictures. They picked up the rights to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise after Lionsgate. I don't know how they fumbled this bag Uh took too long to make 2017's Leatherface. And so they got two movies out of their six movie deal out. I think everybody was pretty excited or at least optimistically cautious for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, especially when Fede Alvarez was signed on to the project in 2019. He was still riding the high of the success of Evil Dead in 2013. And in 2016, he had the original IP, Don't Breathe. He was a man who successfully rebooted an IP we all thought was untouchable with Evil Dead. So people were really excited. He was signed on as a producer and it looked, it looked like he was going to have a pretty heavy hand in the story and how the movie was going to ultimately turn out, even if he wasn't directing or writing. A lot has changed. Don't Breathe 2 came out last year. It was rightfully trounced for lionizing a man that the first film went out of its way to make sure you knew was the villain. The filming started in Bulgaria in August 2020. I would like to stress to filmmakers of the world, Bulgaria does not look like Texas. You weren't filming us. You weren't fooling us in 2017. You didn't fool us in 2022. It does not look like Texas. Uh, Deadline let us know that just a week into filming that Ryan and Andy Tohill were fired and all of their scenes and footages were dumped. The studio went in and hired first-time director David Blue Garcia for a debut film. I don't have any problems with the mechanics of the cinematography or the shots, composition not making sense. None of that I have a problem with. That is not where this movie falls apart. In fact, some of these shots are some of the most gorgeous shots in horror movies. That sunflower field when he pops his head up out of the sunflower is just gorgeous. If I didn't hate the movie so much, I would try to find a good still of that, a poster of that for my wall, but I can't. I just can't with this movie. The cast is pretty much made up 
of new faces, which I think works for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie. The most famous of is S.K. Fisher, who plays our final girl, Lita. The crew touts the use of vintage lenses and practical gore effects a lot. They really stressed that they were going back to an old school way of making films. And you can see that. I just think that it really... It really helps balance out the cognitive dissonance of the tone and the themes of this film. That they got that aspect of it so right and they missed everything else about the film. Um, so we're going to go through the plot of the film. Uh, we're going to talk about it. I, Like I said at the jump, I think this film was pretty much a disaster for me. Beyond the score, which I think is fantastic, and it is done by Colin Stetson, who did Hereditary, and he did Color Out of Space. That was the other one that I was thinking. Both of those soundtracks are phenomenal. The soundtrack for this is also 10 out of 10. The hits, the, the dramatic prompts are perfect. And I think that is why I'm so disappointed with this film, is that two... Not even that. Three of the four elements, the acting is great. Giving you the best with what they have. There's not a lot of bad line reads. There's not a lot of bad edits. The cinematography is beautiful. The score is beautiful. The gore is beautiful. It goes four for five. It's just that fifth one that is going to kill you every time. And it's that the story and characters are forgettable. And I think that this has been thrown around a lot pejoratively towards people who don't like this film in the past couple weeks is, well, just turn your brain off. What were you expecting from a Texas Chainsaw Massacre? I was expecting a story that talks about the desperation of people, what it drives people to do, and how a family comes together in desperation and how you can subvert and pervert the idea of what family means. There is no other Sawyers in this film except for Leatherface. In that he gets sent to a orphanage after the events of the first one in a nearby town. But I think that that's the key thing. The fact that there are no Sawyers. Um, I've said it in multiple reviews of this. I think that there are two things that these films live and die on. It is the scariness of the family and how believable the family's ploy to get people into their trap is. And this fails on all, all, all of those. Find three and in, two influencers, their sister and their girlfriend are driving, driving seven hours outside of Austin, Texas to create a little new town in the old ghost town of Harlow. They go to an orphanage. This woman is like, I have the deed. I cleared it up with the bank. What are you talking about? And uh, they're not taking that for an answer. So they call the cops. The cops come. The woman panics and has a heart attack and dies. The woman is the only thing keeping Leatherface from his murderous rampage, apparently, because Leatherface is there to take care of her. And he goes in the car with her and in the ambulance with her. Or it wasn't the ambulance. It was the police van. Goes in the police van with her and is with her when she dies and before she dies she's like don't go into the bedroom be the good boy i taught you like don't 
go on a murderous rampage. You don't have to kill everybody. So we come to find out they did not have the deed to the orphanage. Oh, I forgot. In the orphanage, the initial incident that sets us off into the orphanage is there is a tattered, dilapidated Confederate flag hanging. They don't want that up there because they think that that will affect the investors wanting to invest in their ghost town. I guess. Does, is that like plausible? I, I can think of lots of rich uh, te- people in Texas who probably wouldn't give a shit about there being a Confederate flag. I think it starts a disturbing trend in this movie to take things that are very serious, like racism in America and gun violence in America, and they are used in very inappropriate and disrespectful ways. You want us to feel sympathy towards Leatherface losing his one comfort person, the one person he can like depend on, but then you have to like also make her an old lady who is like, no, I'm not really racist because I fly the Confederate flag. It just makes me think of my great, great grandfather. And like, I can understand why your black friend would be upset about it, but I hadn't really thought of it. They want to muddy up the waters in everything. They want to make every character in this movie minus Lila, baby. They want to make every character in this movie like some version of Grey and um, when called out about the nature of using school shooting victims as your final girl and having part of the plot be them overcoming their fearfulness about guns after having lived through such a horrific event. Alvarez said that, well, in the real world, nothing is black and white. I'm not watching a documentary. I am watching a movie that is just not an acceptable reasoning or rationale. Your movie is a work of art if you believe Alvarez and other people who argue that film is art and horror movies are art. And I absolutely do believe that. But your art should say something. And your art doesn't say anything because it's a very classic case of not wanting to make anyone mad. So they kind of made everyone mad. Um, There's plenty of people who walked away from this film thinking that it was too woke. And then there's other people like myself who feel like they went into some very serious topics in the United States specifically with gentrification, what the Confederate flag means and how lost cause education and that stance has deferred and deterred America from being the country it could be and gun violence. Like those are three pretty big things to tackle in one movie and they're really big things to do if you wanna try to play r slash concerned centrist instead of picking a viewpoint. This movie just makes me upset because there is never enough counterweight to the argument that you can see, like you can tell what side they're on. There is never enough counterweight to the opposing opinion of the filmmakers. So we find out they don't have the uh, the deed. So the gun nut contractor, just your average Texas man who doesn't wanna be told what to do by anybody, Uh, takes their keys until they find out whether or not uh, the woman from the orphanage was wrongfully 
evicted. Here's the thing. I am looking at the Wikipedia and I can see the names of these characters, but I am literally only using the names of the characters that I can remember. And that's a problem because I can remember lots of characters from the first one. There was Sally, there was Franklin, there was the hitchhiker, there was the cook. I can remember three names at least. We haven't even gotten to the Sally Hardesty of it all. We find out they did not have the deed. The woman did have the deed. They illegally evicted her from her own house. Leatherface is going to come back to town after killing everyone in the truck. Um, those first kills in the truck, I think, are some of the better um, leather kills in the movie. And we'll get to the one that everyone wants to talk about and why I like it in the moment. But I think it is it is very much a fan service gone wrong. Those first kills in that truck are Leatherface. They feel like Leatherface. Leatherface kills in situational killing. I think the thing I have learned about requels in the past couple weeks of watching the new ones that have come out is that the thing that really makes or breaks a requel for me is if the killer feels like the killer. And I think Halloween Kills, there were people who were very justified to say they thought Michael Myers felt a little bit more like Jason, but he did do the walking and stalking and hunting that we love and know Michael for. Uh, this first scene with uh, Leatherface really is the only one where we see him killing in reaction to something. He murders the cop who brought them, who's sitting in the back with him in a very great snapped wrist through the eye. It's good. It's a great gore effect. It looked great. It was beautiful. Um, he kills the girl in a very calm, quiet, just stabs her in the stomach and kills her kind of way. And yes, he runs around with people. He runs around after people chasing people down with a chainsaw, but we don't actually get that many chainsaw kills from Leatherface. Um, he's a lot more hook em, slice em, dice em, cut the skin off of them as they're alive. And they're also, he's also a killer who doesn't seem to kill unless the circumstances are forced upon him. Uh, the first Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie is basically a reverse home invasion. People keep coming in to his house and he keeps killing them because he's like, why the fuck are you in my house? I guess that is what they were trying to do with the like eviction and doing all that. I just don't think it, it ran well. And I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what Leather, Leatherface just felt like Jason. You could swap out the hockey mask and the machete for the chainsaw and the face mask. And I think it would be great. I also think it's weird. He, he didn't like, he just killed people. He didn't like severely hurt anybody to come back and do something to them later. And I think that that is probably because there is no other antagonizing members of the family around. I brought it up in the news this series continuously tells us the Saw is family. We hear that in Texas Chainsaw 2. Um, you can pick sex or the Saw, my boy, and the Saw is family. That's it, is what he tells, is what Drayton Sawyer tells Leatherface. In the third movie, the Saw is family is engraved on a chrome and gold specialty made chainsaw for Leatherface. I don't understand how you have a Texas Chainsaw Massacre movie without the Sawyer family. They are the glue that holds these films together. No family scene, no moment where we sit down and learn about the hardships that came to this family. You know what I'm saying? Like none of that. There's just nothing in it that feels like Texas Chainsaw Massacre to me. And then we're gonna get to Sally Hardesty and I'm gonna keep it quick. 
because I'm just I've been thinking about this movie for two weeks now I was gonna put out the podcast last week and I was still mad about it and I thought okay I'm gonna give it a little bit more time maybe it's just one of those movies that needs to sit with me and I will come to like it more as I think about it and the more I think about it the more I hate this movie so I just want to be done with it Sally Hardesty is one of the worst handled characters in horror movies period from the end of the first movie she is this iconic the very first final girl she gives us the final girl loop. She gives us the soul survivor, right? Like there's all these things that her character has set up that every movie has found a way to disrespect Sally Hardesty in a new and dumber way than the one before it. She's like mute in one of them. She's crazy in another one. She kills herself in another one. This one, she's a Texas Ranger who might be the stupidest cop we've ever seen on film. She doesn't act like a cop. She doesn't think like a cop. Lefty in the second one, like still was like looking around, had had multiple weapons to protect himself. He was like prepared where she is just not. She's not prepared. She holds a gun to his head. She has the moment to get the killing blow and she doesn't treat him with the respect of the danger that she knows him to be. She is the only person in this movie who's had a run-in with Leatherface. And as far as we know in this timeline, she is the only surviving person who knows how dangerous the man who is hiding in that orphanage is. And she doesn't take it seriously. Yes, the, the shove up onto the chainsaw is a beautiful shot and it's gorgeous. And I feel like it is the way I would want Sally to die. But everything up into that death scene is such a disrespect to the idea of Sally Hardesty and the idea of the final girl that I just can't get there. Beautiful and visual, devoid of any meaning, feeling, or context around it. So Sally then somehow also comes back to life, which I'm not a fan of. We really haven't gone through the uh, plot that much. Sorry about that. I just start talking about it and it makes me think of something else. So let's talk about the chainsaw massacre on that bus. Yeah, everyone wants a chainsaw massacre and a Texas chainsaw massacre, but that bus is the horror movie equivalent of the last scene in Rogue One with Darth Vader. Spoilers for Rogue Run, sorry. It's unnecessary to the entirety of the film. It really is the point in the film where you feel like this is Jason and not Leatherface. Uh, other things I don't like, I don't like the John Wick. He's pulling his chainsaw out of the wall. If that is a creation from Alvarez's story that they took into the thing and not something, Alvarez has a massive desire to want to make a John Wick movie. He shot for shot, like took a lot of the like dark hero with the dog shots and put those into Don't Breathe too. And now he's using the, like it is very clear he is a fan and has gotten lots of inspiration from the John Wick movies. Taken away any of what those movies are actually about, I think. Sally uh, shoots him after she gets chainsawed through the back, which just is incredulous. The ending of this film is so ridiculous and so just stupid. I can't she knocks him in the face with a chainsaw, with the butt of the chainsaw. He falls into a thing of water and doesn't drown. After being knocked out, doesn't drown. And then somehow they're like, yeah, let's get in the car and put it on autopilot. What? Who in their right mind isn't speeding as fast as they can to get out of that town? Who is not just like flooring it? Hit that launch mode, that zero to 60 and get out of town. Like the last kill feels, the final kill of the killer feels so cheap because no one in their right mind would 
autopilot out of the town. It would have been more plausible to me that like he stalked them to where their car ran out of battery power and that was the end of the movie, right? Like if you wanted to make some comment about Teslas and like whatever you're trying to do with the autopilot, like them running out of it and him just killing them while they're like, waiting for a tow truck or waiting for whatever would have been better. So I don't know. That's my thoughts on Texas Chainsaw 2022. I did not like this movie. It was not a fun time. I did not have fun watching it. I will probably never watch it again. And I am glad to be done with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm glad we can move on to other movies. These movies have just been occupying my brain and putting me in a bad mood and making content hard to make because I just didn't like as many of them as I thought I did going into doing this series. I was really excited to do this series because I do fondly like the first two and I like the 2003 reboot. I like that one too. I think it's a fun time, but the rest of these were very bad and not, not good. And I bet we get a sequel because it was pretty popular on Netflix. It was like the top movie for the first five days on Netflix. I think it was like number two still last weekend. So I think we'll probably get a sequel and you know, I'll probably watch it because that's what horror fans do. That's going to do it for this week. I'm your ghost dispenser. You can find me all over the internet at Miss Nintendeek 64. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Twitch. You can find the podcast at A Halloween Club on Instagram and Twitter. And yeah, next week we're going to be doing the new Scream 2022. And that's going to be a little bit more of a fun episode. I can't wait to gush and love and have a good time with a film and not feel so like, ugh, I got to talk about a film I don't like. So I will see you next Tuesday for that. Um, there's going to be a video up on YouTube for the Texas Chainsaw Massacres that didn't get made into a podcast. And then next week on Monday, I'll have a ranking of my favorite screen movies one through four. So you know what time it is. Sleep or don't.